just me and you this morning, I guess. How about that, huh? Well, just for a short time anyway. Hopefully more people show up. If not, we're in trouble, amen? Okay. Did you get a chance to look over the homework from last week? Thought about it, brother. Come on now. What's that? Okay, so the question was, you ready for this? Go ahead and turn back to 1 John. And we're talking about 1 John chapter 2. Or maybe it was chapter 3. Um... Uh, it says, uh, whosoever transgresses also law, hold on, I mean we're in second, we're first John, right? Yeah, first John chapter three, start verse one. Um, says in verse first John chapter 3 and verse 9 we find the verse that says whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God okay that's the first part of the question you go to the second part of the question and you find the verse that says in verse 8 first John 1 verse 8 hi Danny how you doing it says here, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So tell me the difference. Why? Okay. Okay. I, I can see that. But he's saying here, I'm going to be a devil's advocate here for a second. It's a bad, precarious place to be in, but I'm going to be it for a second, okay? It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the Bible says that if we sin, his seed is not in us. It doesn't say if you sin of the spirit or the flesh. What is he saying? In 1 John chapter 3, I'll read it back to you again. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for the sin is in the transgression of the law. It says, um, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Let's read the next verse. In this the children of God are manifest, the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So you want me to explain it to you? Right. That's the point. That's the point. You will sin because you are what? A sinner. Okay? If it wasn't for the grace of God, you would not want... Or you, here, here's the difference between someone that's saved and someone's not saved. When you commit sin... The Holy Spirit deals with your heart, and then you confess. 
the person that is not saved will do everything they can to keep living in sin because they have no desire to get out of sin. Do you see what I'm saying? So really, it's the prolonging of their sin that keeps them going. Whereas a Christian, they cannot let sin prolong. If you can allow sin to manifest in your life and sin to continue in your life, what are you going to do? You are not saved. Why? Because two things will happen. Either number one, the Holy Spirit will deal with you and you will take care of it. You'll confess your sin to God and then God God will forgive you. Or number two, if that sin continues, God will destroy you. He will judge you. And you'll have to get back to God. And there's many people that you can give an example of that have, you know, maybe fallen from the realm of grace and have God's mercy is there. He's long-suffering. But the Bible talks about a sin unto death. <laughs> Think about in the Old Testament of, of the kings. Think about Hezekiah. He, he repented. He says, God, I want to live longer. He says, you know, give me some more years. And God gave him more years. So I really believe not that death is ultimately the ultimate punishment. I think death and hell is. But for your sin, if you continue in your sin, that's an evidence of what? Unregenerate. Unregenerate. Because your insight in the Bible is so, so clear because it says in here in verse, if you go back to First uh, John chapter uh, 1 and verse 8, we find here it says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have not sinned. Uh, that's not the word. That's not what I wanted. Let's go back to First John chapter 3. It says in... not the verse that I wanted, but it talks about abiding in Christ. And that's really the bottom line. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, and he becomes what? He speaks to your heart, right? He gives you the ability to understand and discern that your sin is stopping you from what? Fellowship with God. Sometimes Christians, though, they fall prey to this problem of what? No fellowship with God. So there's a Holy Spirit no longer is really speaking to their heart. And so they will eventually what? They'll fall prey to Satan's advances. That's why it's so important to be in fellowship with God. It's important to listen to what his word says. And it's important to know his word. We're talking about, I don't know if you got a chance, uh, we're talking about the differences in between 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 and 1 John chapter 3 in verse 9. And if you turn there, Danny, aren't you in Brother Pastor Teasdale's class? He's not down there? Or? Yeah, he's not. He graduated. Oh, you gadgetated, huh? All right. Yeah, I guess that's cool. All right. I might have to make an age requirement in here. All right. If you're less than three years old, Danny, you got to go downstairs. Okay? You understand that? Better go down there then, okay? All right. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, we find it says what? He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. And this is the, 
this is the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither is he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. So the basis here is what? What do you get from that passage? Danny, you're going to be in my class. You've got to answer some questions. What is the basis of that? What are they trying to say in that verse? In John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, well, the ones we just read. What is the basis? Take the collective thought, and what is it trying to say? What do you think, Danny? Don't tell me what it says. Just tell me what you can discern from it. Okay, do you commit sin? Okay, so are you a child of God? Oscar, do you commit sin? Are you a child of God? Yes, yes. It says right here that, uh, brother, that uh, says he that commits sin is of the devil. Miss Raina, you commit sin? Child of the devil. Well, the Bible, are you, you're not arguing with me, you're arguing with God's word. Good answer. Good answer. If you didn't hear that, she says the reason why God came is to what? Destroy the works of the devil. So, like I was telling Mohan, it's important to be in class on time. Thank you very much. All right. But we were talking about this importance of abiding in Christ. If you don't abide in Christ, are you, do you lose your salvation? Answer, that should be a resounding, no! Okay? But is there a possibility that Satan can come in and destroy you? Yes. That's what he's always tried to do from the very beginning. He's tried to destroy the works of God. Okay? So our purpose, hi Stephanie, hi Miss Patty, Brother Juan, good to see you. Did you get enough sleep last night, brother? I hear you. I hear you. That hour, losing that hour just really kills it for you. All right. We're talking about, I don't know if you guys got a chance to look over our homework from last week. We talked about the differences between 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8 and 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. And the two differences is in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8, it says, He that committeth what? Sin is of the devil. Okay? Very blatant. Verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Go back to 1 John Come on. Chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Just if you took those two verses out of context, you would believe what? Boy, the Bible has a contradictory saying here. Saying, number one, if you don't say you have sin, then you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. But then it takes you back to 1 John chapter 3, and it says, Hey, if you do sin, you're of the devil. But we understand, and if we take the context of it, it says in verse, This is then is the message which we have heard, and declaring to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, what does it say? We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, what does it say? Cleanses us from all sin. Yes. Um, 
it says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, all right. Okay, and that would it that would explain the verse. I agree, but then you got to have to go back to First John chapter three. Explain that to me. Yes, that explains the verse exactly. Yes, it does identify us as what sinners. We look at ourselves as sinners. We understand that we're sinners, and that verse really explains it. We get saved, changes our whole dynamic of our understanding of our spiritual nature, right? But 1 John chapter 3, and thank you for that explanation, Ms. Raina, because then it will, it kind of springboards into 1 John chapter 3. Whoso, and this is the verse that we're looking for, whoso abideth in him sinneth what? Not. Okay? Evidence of salvation is what? I talked to a pastor one time that was from, uh, was a graduate of a very famous Bible college down the road. And he told me once, he says that repentance is not necessary for salvation. And why did he say that? Because he really believed that repentance, he had this thought in his head that repentance has a work salvation. Meaning that Jesus Christ came to save us, but we don't have to do anything else outside of that. I agree with him on that. But, but... You can search the scripture. You can find this for yourself. Repentance has to deal with what? What is repentance? It's turning from your sin and saying that is the wrong way to go. And turning to Christ. If there's no desire to turn from your sin, you're not really turning to Christ, are you? You're going this direction and you keep going that direction. You don't turn. There's no desire. Are you trying to erase your sin? No, you're not trying to erase your sin. But you are seeing Christ as the right example. Christ is the way to go. So I think if you take this example, it's really saying, hey, look at me. You are the Son of God. Son, one of the sons of God. Okay? Because you what? You accepted Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that very clearly. We become sons of God. So the question is, if someone is saved... Let's just say that my little Brookie gets saved. She's not saved yet. Turns five today, hallelujah. But she gets saved. I should see what in her heart? A change. Okay? You come, have someone come into this church. They say they're saved. But they don't follow this here. They still live in darkness. You see them bar hopping out on uh, Saturdays. Uh, They're missing church left and right. There is no ultimate desire to change the path that they were going. It's an evidence of what? No salvation, no regeneration. That's why we see that today. Many people that have no desire to turn from their sin. Now let me ask you this question. Is there people that could essentially believe on Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ and truly be saved? I believe so. They might not understand the whole value of repentance, but they do understand that Christ is now the way to go, and they start following Christ. But we as Christians, we should, we should put utmost importance on the understanding of repentance and a change of what? Desire. 
Now, Christ puts that in your heart, not us. Christ is the one that forgives us of our sin. Christ is the one that changes the nature of our desire. But we essentially are the ones that say, hey, I'm not just going this way anymore. I'm now a what? Follower of Christ. An example. Can you guys think of an example in the Old Te- New Testament where Christ made people follow him over what they were doing? Yes. Okay. That's a verse on doctrine. But I'm talking about a specific example of people that turned from the way they were going and followed Christ. Yes. Zacchaeus? I'm thinking even before that. It was the first, these were the first, I almost said it. These are the first people that, yes. Yes! Thank you. The first disciples of Christ. Leave your ships, leave your boats and follow me. Peter is the first example of someone that would backslid, right? Because he went back to his ships, didn't he? And he followed his ships. Was he still saved? Yes. But he went back to his old ways. Was Peter still saved? Yes. But he had doubt. He decided to go back to his old ways. God still loved him. And God will do that very thing when we, re- when we backslide. He'll come to us and say, hey, I love you. And he says, do you love me? Remember, he asked Jesus that, or Peter that question, didn't he? Do you love me? And eventually, what did Peter say? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Our goal as a Christian should be, number one, living for Christ. And what does God say to Peter once he's done that? Be giving what? Be a pastor. Be in the ministry. That will help you with your growth in Jesus Christ. All right, so that's enough for today on that. I hope you got a chance to look at that. 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. People will take that out of context. But we as Christians know better. We should understand it. Now, let's go back. And we're going to finish up 1 John uh, this week. We're going to talk about um, 2 John. All right. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John. I just have a, one, a couple more points to make. And then as soon as that is done, I find that. All right. And I can't find it now. I got Sunday school notes for 2 John, 3 John. Just need to put Cassie's name in here. She types out my notes. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> so just a quick overview, and we're going to leave First John for good. I hope you get a chance to study it for yourself. When was the date of First John written? Anybody remember? Yes. 98 day. It was after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. What was the pur- what's the purpose? I'm sorry, the theme of 1 John. Put your hand down for goodness sakes. You should know it. Yes. Fellowship, Fellowship correct. 
And the purposes to 1 John was to urge a closer fellowship with God and assurance of salvation. Um, I'm going to skip over a lot of this, um, but we're going to talk about, we talked about walking in the light, walking in righteousness, walking in love. And we gave a definition of agape. What does agape mean? Or agape, agape? Um, condition? Giving of oneself involves the heart and giving, okay? So it's not just getting, and I gave a, a very simple definition between lust and love. Lust is this idea of what? What I can get. Love is the idea of what I can give, okay? So really, the right type of, if you're really defining love as it should be, it's giving, it's an action, okay? It's not something you get, Love is of God. Love equals God is His very character. Love's supreme example is Christ. Love's example should be followed. Love for others shows your relationship to God. And I gave the uh, verse last week, there is no fear in love, as 1 John 4.18 says. And why we should love Him is because He first loved us. Let's turn there to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. And I gave... Um, if you don't understand the love of God, you'll never understand how to be a soul winner. And how is that? Because essentially, God loved us before we loved Him, right? If you cannot have that same love for other people that are unsaved and going and dying to go to hell, then you'll never quite understand how to reach them. Why? Because you'll be in it, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? Okay? Our Christian love should be something that far exceeds what the world says is love. We're going to understand the purposes. So the idea is, first of all, false. If you love God, then he will love you. That is not true. God loves you no matter who you are. He loves you. Now, he has to punish sin. He still loves you. That's why he gave his only begotten son to die for us. If you think that you can somehow, and this is the problem with Lent, my folks, the problem with Lent, they believe that if they are able to what? Follow, do, restrain themselves from certain things, that God will love them more. What's wrong with that statement? It's not true. You're exactly right. You cannot do anything to gain access to God's love. God's love is what? Ever abounding. Now you can, what? Follow God. And God says, if you want to be able to escape my judgment, then you need to accept me as your, or my son as your personal savior. But there is no way to gain more love from God. God's love is ever abounding. Anybody have a question on that? Some of you guys are looking at me like i got two heads. Brother Oscar? Wrapping your brain around it? Yeah, and it's funny because even some of the, uh, I know of an independent pastor uh, and his wife has, quote-unquote, practiced it. And uh, 
I don't know how you can say that. Because the idea of Lent, what is the, essentially, what is the idea of Lent? The Catholics, Catholics came up with it, right? They're saying, hey, if I give up what? It doesn't even have to be food, does it? It could be something that's, yeah, smoking. Um, it could be, uh, I'm going to give up television for a month. It's what? It's an idea of, of giving up one's personal enjoyment or entertainment to see if I can get more access to God or more love to God. Now, here's something that I want to point out. Why do we fast? Right. God tells us to. Think. That's a good point. Right. That's part of it, yeah. But it becomes, gives us what? More consecration to God, right? It makes us think more about God. It changes. And my dad used to explain this to us when we were kids. He's, we would fast as a family. And I remember he would tell us, he says, now, what, what is the purpose of our fast? Well, you start feeling that rumble in your belly. You got to start thinking, why am I not eating? You're denying your flesh, Right. Yeah, you're saying, hey, I, I need to think more about what God wants me to do. And he says, I would even essentially, every time you feel that rumble in your belly, spend a little time in prayer. Why? Because it gets you back on focus of what you should be doing. The Lent is opposite of that. Lent believes what? Well, if I give this up for a month, God's going to love me more. No! God loves you no matter what you do. He's your, if you're saved, you're His Son. And even if you're not His Son, He still loves you. You can't gain more access by denying yourself more things. You can only grow closer to Him by what? Draw nigh to God, and He will what? Draw nigh to you. Okay? You have to first say, okay... Love, the God's love doesn't change, but you can draw closer to Him. Some people explained it this way to me. God's always here. We could be here, we could be here, we could be here, or we could be all the way over on the other side of the road. But God is always what? Here. We can draw as close as we can to really what? Love God. But God's love is always continuous, doesn't change. You can, the Bible says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. You can only, the only person that can love more is who? To get, gain more love, I should say. Not, not more love than what Christ gives us, but what we can do. God doesn't love more. His love is abounding. Only person that can love more is you. Because you can never get to the standard of what Christ did for us. Yes. Yeah. 
That's, that's the point, though, that I want to get across. If you're giving it up, give it up for good. And most of them, oh, I give up alcohol, or I give up smoking, or I give up whatever they think is a sin. And they're in sense saying, if I give this up, then I can be able for a month, then I'm going to please God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a true what, and we talked about this earlier, repentance of that sin. It's just a short time, short-term denial, right? Thinking that that short-term denial in the eyes of God is going to get them somewhere. It doesn't. It's the whole basis of the idea that you can please God. It's just a basis that your um, goodness is good enough. It's only through Christ and obedience to Christ that gives you what? The goodness that God can use. That's the problem. It's the basis of where Lent comes from. It takes away from the very understanding of your sin and your goodness. The Bible says your goodness is like what? In Isaiah, filthy rags. And yet you think that your goodness can be able to please God? It can't. It all has to be done by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please Him. When we try to do it through the flesh, we try to do it through our understanding. When we try to do it through how we think we should be doing it. Look, perfect examples, Adam and, um, I'm sorry, Cain and Abel. Cain thought he could please God through his what? The fruits of his labor. Not by the fruits of what God told them to bring. He brought what? Fruits and vegetables as a sacrifice. But God said, no, I want you to bring a what? A lamb. And because of that, uh, Cain decided to kill his brother because he thought God favored at, uh, Abel more than he, than he liked him. Gives you a perfect example of how we should expect from the love of Christ. You cannot gain favor with God. The only way that you can gain favor is by what? First of all, obeying Christ. Listening to Christ. And then Christ's goodness exists. Does everybody understand that or am I just a little bit deeper? Everybody, I, I want to make everybody understand this. I don't want to just kind of throw out a philosophy and an understanding and nobody get it. Danny, do you understand it? Stephanie? What do you think, Brother Juan? Yeah? Not really? If you have a question, tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm up for questions. I like to give the illustration of, we use a lot of power tools, right? Um, Brother Juan, do you, you still work out there in the, the salvage yard, right? Or no, where do you work now? You still work for, with steel, right? 
Oh, I didn't know that. When did that change? Man, brother, I'm going to have to get together with you and find out what's going on in your life. Um, but when you did work at the salvage yard, Brother Oscar, you're there. They have the big old magnetic puller, right? Does it pick up the metal, right? Drops it off. Without that magnetic puller, could, you, could the operator be able to pick up all that steel? No, why? Because it's a power tool. Same way with Christ. You cannot get the job done. By yourself. You have to have the what? You have to have Jesus Christ. And I'm using it as a very crude illustration of what Christ does for us, but I'm putting it on a simplistic level, saying, hey, if you don't have Christ, you can't do it. I mean, you think about these guys that have the big old front end loaders, and they pick up hundreds of pounds. I saw this video the other day. I am just shocked and amazed how much more we could do with our kids. This kid was probably like six or seven. He was probably Chloe's age. And he had one of those big Titan uh, front-end loaders. This is in Japan or China. And he was operating it like a pro. Uh, I couldn't believe it. He was swirling that. I mean, he just picking up the payloads of, of sand, dumping it in a hopper, no problem. He couldn't even sit on the seat. He had his butt on the edge of the seat, and he, had his, he was literally standing up and using the gas and the brake. And he had the, the clutch here, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I showed my dad, and my dad's like, whoa. You know, it would probably, someone like us, it would probably take us a while to figure something out. Kid's six or seven, he's figuring it out. But anyway, you know, you think about this little kid, six or seven years old, and he's picking up hundreds of, not, if not thousands of pounds of dirt and sand, and he's dropping it in a payloader. How could he do it? You know, a six and seven-year-old, could they pick it up by themselves? I don't know, Chloe out there, or Brooklyn, picking up sand in their hand? That'd take it forever to do thousands of pounds, right? With Christ, what? All things are possible. So let's move on. It, uh, if you struggle with the love for God, think on His love. Here's, here's just something I want to point out. If you struggle with, the love, with, with love for God, think on His love. Maybe sometimes it's hard for you to be obedient to the cause of Christ. Maybe there's something, a sin, there's something that is getting in the way of really being obedient to Christ. And you say, why do I have this problem? How do I deal with this problem? you got to first say, okay, how much did Christ love me? And it should bring you back to the realization, while God did all this for me, and I can't do this simple little thing? It really would bring what? a real realization of how your life is. Christ loved us so much, He sent His Son. All right. And my last point is walking in faith. Walking in faith. And we're done with 1 John. And it is way past my time. Holy cow, it's 10.50. All right, well, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful today for Your Word and, Lord, that You've given us understanding of Your love. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would take it seriously. And, Lord, that we wouldn't forget that it's only through you that we can be able to please God. Pray that you just bless today in the morning service. In Jesus' name, amen.